Solomon is pointing our hearts, our affections, our hope above the sun to the God who reigns and sits on the throne in heaven. He's showing us that nothing here can satisfy us. It's all just what the scripture, some English translations call vanity, a hebel. It's everything is a vapor. It's a mist. It's here. It's transient. It's here. Then it's gone. Nothing lasts. And so we are to root our hearts above the sun in the God who exists, who has sent his son to pay for our sins and given us his spirit so that we embrace Christ through the preaching and teaching, through hearing the gospel and trusting and resting in Jesus. And last week we talked about approaching or coming into the presence of God and the taking care, guarding our steps, beware, watching out when we do so. And we'll finish that portion of text today that speaks more like, last week it was watch your steps, this week it's watch your mouth. So uh, we'll finish that section up. But I want to read from verses 1 to 7 in chapter 5 before we get started. The first verse, like I say, we looked at last week. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts a true and a gracious, a biblical, a Christ-like fear of the Lord, that we would hold you in reverence, that we would be in awe of you, delighting in you, delighting in your word, delighting to obey you, trusting you, resting in you, following you. Lord, make us have hearts that fear you, lives that fear you, including speech that fears you. Speech that honors you and glorifies you and is according to your word, that is like our Savior, that is productive for your kingdom, productive for our brothers and sisters around us, productive for our neighbors, Lord. May we guard our hearts and therefore guard our tongues. And may the good news of your mercy and grace in Christ be on our lips. So bless us this morning as we look into your word. Convict us, cleanse us, clarify us, challenge us. Do what you know is necessary in each of our hearts that we might either come to faith in Jesus or walk more faithfully with you, Lord. Thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit to apply your word to our hearts. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Accomplish all your purpose. Build your church. Build your kingdom. You are accomplishing all of your will, and we look to you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You talk too much. You worry me to death. You talk too much. You even worry my pet. You talk, talk too much. You talk about people that you've never seen. You talk about people. You can make me scream. You just talk. You talk too much. 
from 1960. You Talk Too Much is the title by Frankie Ford. We're in the midst of Ecclesiastes. We are seeing the symptoms of life in a fallen world. We're seeing many of the ways that people try to be happy here. Uh, Solomon is working in us a fear of the Lord. We'll see that's how he works through the book and that's how he concludes at the end of the book. And like I said, uh, last week we looked at fear of the Lord when we're coming into His presence, fear of the Lord in worship, and some of that continues through this text. And uh, then this week we're talking about fear of the Lord in our speech. So I entitled it Fearful Words, not words flowing from fear, just in general, but that the fear of the Lord might shape how we speak. How we, yes, we speak in worship, how we speak in life, how we speak to one another. Fearful words from five, chapter 5, verse 2 to 7. You know, our relationships are built or destroyed with our deeds, yes, and with our words. Our words are powerful for encouragement or discouragement, for building or tearing down. Even speaking truth to ourselves. You see the psalmist do that. All that is within me. You know, the psalmist will speak and encourage himself with truth. Don't listen to your spell. Speak to yourself. We lie to ourselves. Speak truth to yourself. Be careful. But our words are important. You hear things like loose lips sink ships. True. We don't want to have loose lips. And some of us do. Some of us don't guard our tongue the way we should. And so this passage is going to help us with that. And the main thing I want you to draw, and I rewrote this two or three times and I simplified it, basically fear the Lord with your speech. Only use fearful words. Words that flow from a fear of the Lord. I want us to see two things today. Fearful words are measured words and fearful words are faithful words. And looking at the text, look back at verse 2, if you will, first. Fearful words are measured words. He says this in verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before the Lord. Now, in the context of worship, like we talked about last week, it said it's better to draw near to listen. So, you know, some of, some of us have to speak in worship, and, and the rest of us need to restrain ourselves in worship. We, there's time for you to speak. Like, you, you pray with us silently when we're praying. You just sang beautifully, right? But we need to be guarded and careful with our words and not be rash with our mouths in worship. We also be, need to not be rash with our mouths in just daily life. And so we're going to kind of talk about and think about both things as we look at these verses. But it says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty. What does it mean to be rash? Well, the, the English word, the translators, and a lot of them used rash in the translation to translate the Hebrew word. But to be rash, now watch this, is to proceed, to proceed, to proceed without careful consideration of the possible consequences of an action. Hear a word. If we're rash, we're not thinking about the consequences of what we say. We're just letting it flow. We're just letting it go. Sometimes we justify it. We'll say, well, I'm just that kind of person. If you, if you, you cross me, I'm going to tell you what I think. Well, that might be fun and good according to you, but that's not according to God. We are to measure our words. We're not to be rash. If we're rash, we're proceeding without careful consideration. So if we're not rash, we're going to proceed with careful consideration. Hate and mean hasty just to be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry to talk. Don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. See, what we need to do is we need to measure our words. And to measure your words means to consider them carefully before we speak. We've all heard, think before you speak, right? How many of us do that? Especially when we're mad. Especially when we're angry. We, do, we have to do a lot of apologizing because, or we should do a lot of apologizing. Sometimes we don't. 
But we have to do a lot of apologizing because, simply because we don't think before we speak. And I, I want to encourage you, especially when you are emotional, pump the brakes. Think about what's about to come out of your mouth. Even if it goes, let the Holy Spirit hold some of that back because it's not going to be good. So we need to measure our words. He's saying here, don't be rash with your mouth or let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Why does he mention the heart there? Because everything that comes out of our feet, hands, mouth, you know, our deeds and our words flow from our heart. They reveal our heart. They show what's in our heart. God looks on the heart. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He certainly knows our words before we say them. And He wants us to think about what we say before we say it. Don't be rash with your mouth or let your heart be hasty to utter a word. Notice our words are before God. So if we measure our words, we won't talk too much. And we won't talk too little. We will talk just right. Sorry for the Goldilocks and the three bears there. Kids, maybe that touches a nerve. Some of us talk too much. Some of us talk too little. And none of us all the time talk just right. But we want to increase that percentage as we practice measuring our words. Young people... Man, this is not just the young people, but especially young people, kids, listen to me. Your words matter to God. Every one of your words matter to God. Your emails, your texts, your Snapchats, your TikTok, and whatever else you want to mention matters to God, and it's all to be measured, and it's all to be used in a way that glorifies God. And if it's not, it's sin. I won't sin with my mouth, but it don't matter what I do with my thumbs. All that's flowing out of the heart. Your, your Instagram page reveals your heart. Your Facebook page reveals your heart. Your TikToking and Snapchatting and whatever else reveals your heart. Look at that. Realize that. And take that before the Lord. And ask Him for help or for forgiveness, or for whatever it is that you need. Because look, he says, don't be hasty to utter a word before God. And I've told you, every, every word is before God. There's nowhere we can go to escape His presence, Psalm 139. It says, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. God is on the throne and you are not. He is Creator. He is God. And He is the one to whom we are responsible. He is in heaven. And He cares about it all. And He sees and hears and watches it all. And the warning here, listen to me, the warning is don't talk too much. Don't text too much. Don't type too much. Don't you fill in the blank. Don't let your words get ahead of your brain Get ahead of the Spirit at work in you, working in you to glorify God with everything you are and do. Don't talk too much because God is on the throne. Some of us talk too much. And we need to be careful with that. If you talk too much, you wear people out. They ask you a small question and you give them the whole story from 1911 on. Give them a summary. Let them ask for more if they want it. Be careful not to talk too much. Some of you talk too little. I, I get onto the introverts. Well, if I'm going to mess up, I just won't talk. Well, you sin not talking too. There's things that you need to say. We'll talk more about that. But some of us just talk too much. I remember... A certain person I know who don't like me to use them in illustrations, so I won't mention their name, but this certain person was riding to a work conference with a couple of other persons in the car. And one of those ladies was the kind... She, you ever known anybody that's afraid of quiet? 
just a quiet moment, they can't stand it. Got to say something, anything. Well, this lady was like that. Her name was Jane. And she just had to fill the air up with words. And about halfway to the conference, this other lady, who tended to be a lady that just said what she thought, said, Jane, you have got to shut up. You have given me a headache. Now, both were probably rash with their words, but we need to watch talking too much. We need to watch talking too little. We need to be fearing the Lord when we speak. So he says, God is in the heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, now watch this, let your words be few. Now, again, we've already said in worship, certainly we're here to listen unless we have to speak, right? But we're here to listen and be shaped by what we hear and we want our words to be few. But even in life, in general, we need to let our words be measured and few in comparison to just letting it rip and letting it go. And he says, he gives a little illustration here. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. So an analogy. The dreams here are a reference to disturbing dreams where, you know, someone who's a workaholic or too busy is just eaten up by concern over the busyness of things and they have these dreams that they wake up in a cold sweat and it disturbs their sleep. You know, maybe they're workaholics. Maybe they need to make some sort of an adjustment. Maybe not. Maybe they just need to trust God to produce what He's promised to produce. But these are not good dreams. These are disturbing dreams that assault the business person, robbing them of sleep. Like it is foolish to be a workaholic, it's foolish to talk too much. And he says, listen, a fool's voice with many words. Many words. Many words, talking too much is what is foolish, what fools do, and we don't want to be fools, so we need to guard our mouths. The tongue is a fire, James says. It sets the world on fire. So principle number one in this section, think before you speak. Budget your words. Everything. Budget your words. Be a good steward of your words. Be careful what you say. If this makes you afraid to talk for a while, good. That means you're examining things and want to be more God-honoring in your speech. If you're prone to talking too much, talk less. Like I said, let the other person ask for more if they want it. Speak measured. Speak less. Speak intentionally. See, we get in trouble. Sometimes we get in trouble speaking intentionally because we're just letting it fly. But a lot of times we get in trouble because we're just not restraining our talk. We're just, another saying, running off at the mouth. So think before you speak and speak less. And that second principle is speak what is needed and necessary because some of us tend to not speak what we should say. It's really bad. It's really bad, parents, if all your kids ever hear from you is negative. Stop that. Don't do that. I wish you didn't do that. They also need to hear encouragement and exhortation. That was great. You really do a good job at that. You're gifted at that. You know, there needs to be a balance on how we speak to our kids. There needs to be a balance on how we speak to one another. And sometimes if we're introverted, we'll just won't, we won't say enough. We won't give the encouragement and the exhortation and the edification that others around us need. See, word, verse 2 says, let your words be few, not let your words be zero. So examples would be communicating love. Much of your communication of love to your spouse, to your kids, to your family is spoken. And we don't wait for them to be perfect to love them with our words. So speak well. Communicate love. Communicate care. Communicate encouragement. Communicate edification or building up. Communicate appreciation. And certainly teach, like parents teaching their children. Teach them. Teach them the gospel, most importantly. But beware of talking too much. 
Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. That's a good warning. If you just let it flow, it's going to get you in trouble. Somehow. Right? When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Now watch, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent, meaning wise. We want to be wise. We don't want to be foolish. It's foolish to just speak too much. It's wise to measure your words. You need a governor on your mouth. I remember it used to frustrate the fire out of me when I was little. And when I finally got a mini bike, if you know what a mini bike is, it's a... It's got a motor on it, and you, you crank it, and you go, and you go. You want to go too fast. Well, my mini bike, and I, I, I might shouldn't say that I, never mind. I won't say it. My mini bike had, they all had governors on them. They had this spring on the carburetor that would only let you get up to so much speed before it would back you off. You know why? It was trying to protect you. But I didn't think that way. I like, I want every ounce of speed I can get out of this thing. But the governor was a, was a device. I don't know a lot about how it worked. I did find out how to short circuit it, but <laughs> but it would you'd get up to a certain speed and then that was all it would do. And you could tell by listening to it, and this motor will go faster than this. But it was governing me. And it frustrated me. And it might be frustrating to you when you first start thinking about and trying to govern your words. But you need a governor on your speech and it needs to be God's Word. Speech is a glorious gift and a tremendous responsibility. And we need to steward it well. We need to steward it well in our Godward relationship. So that we're, we're addressing God as who He really is and in the way He's told us to come. That our prayer life is rich and vital because we are interacting with Him. We're hearing Him in His Word and praying that back to Him and praying in things in the way that He's told us to pray and according to His will. And we're, we're talking to one another and we're not saying some things and we're saying other things. Maybe we're saying things that we wish we didn't have to say. Listen to me. It's gracious and loving to offer correction when people need it. Jesus never sinned with His lips and He let some people have it. But it was always righteous anger. It was always done in a way that glorified God and called them to repentance. Sometimes we do have to correct. But we want to do that with love and gentleness and patience and in a way that glorifies God. We do want to encourage. We do want to talk. It's not don't talk. It's talk fearfully. Talk in a way that fears the Lord, that respects His commands. Stewardship. There's a stewardship of words. Whether you embrace it or not, there's a stewardship. Watch this. In Matthew 12, 36-37. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for most of their words. <clears throat> Man, this is one of those verses we like to forget as soon as we can forget it, isn't it? We shouldn't feel that way, but tell the truth. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For connection, flowing out of that. For by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. That doesn't mean we'll be made righteous by what we say, but it means that our words reveal our heart. And so our claim to faith in Jesus will either be vindicated or not vindicated based on what comes out of us. Our deeds, yes, but here we're focusing on words. And Jesus says that every careless word will be brought into consideration. 
It doesn't mean you're going to be condemned and cast into hell if you've not spoken perfectly. Thankfully, Jesus died for us and paid the penalty, and we'll talk more about that. But what I want you to grasp is this is your Savior talking, saying that you are a steward of every word. So if you're going to let it come out of your lips, make sure that it would be something that matches your claim to faith in Jesus so that it would vindicate your claim to trust Him and follow Him and not be contra that and deserve judgment. Thinking about judgment purifies us. Think about your words and your responsibility to use those words in a way that honors honored God. Own what Jesus said, and therefore you'll be quicker to do what James says to do. Look, James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, or my beloved brethren, every person, let every person be quick to hear. Remember last week, we come, we, we're listeners. We have two ears and one mouth. How many of y'all have said that to you kids? Be good listeners. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. God is so slow to anger. He is so long-suffering. Let His Word govern your speech. And when you don't, because you won't always, go to that person and say, I am so sorry. Confess it to God first, then go to that person, even if it's your small children, and say, I am so sorry. I did not honor God with my words. I sinned against you with my words, and please forgive me. That teaches more than a thousand lectures sometimes when your kids see you modeling that kind of humility or your friends see that or your coworkers see that because we always all want to be right, don't we? But sometimes we have to go in humility and say, I blew it. I'm sorry. I was quick to speak and slow to hear and quick to anger. Be careful. Measure your speech because fearful speech, speech that fears God, is measured speech. So don't talk too much and think before you speak and speak also what is necessary to glorify your Father. Secondly, fearful words are faithful words. Faithful words. Some folks are so quick to say, I promise or I swear. Careful. Careful. Look what it says. When you, make, when, you, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. What in the world is a vow? Well, in the Old Testament time, there, there, was, uh, a, there were religious vows. It was, it was taking an obligation on yourself for a religious reason. It was a special consecration uh, before God. It was a solemn promise to God when you made a vow. It wasn't private. It was before witnesses. And you see in the text the mention of a messenger. That might have been a priest who witnessed the vow before the congregation. So vows were, were taken in, in worship. What were they? What was the special consecration? Well, it was regarding something not ordinarily required. So in other words, if, if God's already commanded you not to do it or to do it, you know, you're not taking a vow to do it. You already know you, you're obligated to do that, right? But it was regarding something not ordinarily required. It could not be committing to a sin, obviously, right? And if you had, if you had wrongly committed to do something that was sinful, then there was the way, a way out for that. Maybe you did that in ignorance. It had to do with your ability, so it had to be within your ability as God provides two performed the vow. It was not mandatory. We see in our text, it said it's in verse 5, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So it was not mandatory, but it was binding before God. If it met those qualifications and you entered into that vow, then you needed to do it or pay it. You were held responsible for it. You had made a promise to God in the presence of God's people to take a certain action and He expected you to follow through with that. There's nothing sinful about taking vows then or now, uh, but there are sinful ways to do that that need to be avoided. I don't want to go too much into that. That's not what 
um, really want to address this morning. But you're making a promise to God, and so you need to be quick uh, to keep that promise. Be faithful to what you say. Keep your word. So you're measuring your word, you're speaking what you're convinced God would have you say, and in this context, you are vowing what you would believe God would have you vow, so keep it. But don't be too quick to make a promise. And when you make them, keep them. Especially to God. He said, it is better that you should not vow than that you'd vow and not pay. Now watch, there's, see, God's in heaven. He's on the throne. He, he, Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger or witness or, that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Why should you enter into judgment because you were foolish in your vow or your promise? Faithful words are, I mean, fearful words are faithful words, and when we say something, we do it. Blessed is the person who swears to their own hurt and does not change, the Psalms say. You commit to something. See, we're bad about this. We'll commit to something and then a better opportunity will come up. And we'll excuse our way out of that commitment so that we can take this more fun thing or whatever. When we make promises, certainly to God, and and they're righteous promises, not sinful, uh, we need to keep them. But when we make promises to one another, we need to keep them. We need to be faithful with our words and, and that we keep our word. Parents, when you promise your kids something, you need to follow through on that. And if providence makes it impossible, you certainly need to apologize for that and try to, try to make up for that. I mean, I know people whose parents, I know one person whose daddy promised things all the time and never followed through. And that shaped them. That shaped them to such an extent that if you promised something and you didn't follow through, there was this reaction, which in itself wasn't godly, but it'd be like, whoa. Gosh, what is going on here? Well, there was this repetition over the years of being abused that way and that receiving promises that never were followed up through. So you have, to, you have to be careful with that. Moms, dads, kids. Kids, you make promises, you need to keep them. Now, be careful about making promises that your parents don't know about. You need to clear that and make sure, you know, something you ought to promise. But we need to be faithful to our word. That's faithful to God and faithful to our word, faithful to one another. Don't make rash vows and keep what you vow or promise, both to God and man. Example of a, of a, of a rash vow. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Jephthah from Judges 11. A judge in Israel, a deliverer, you know, uh, a warrior. And he, he made a rash vow. He promised God that if God would deliver the Ammonites into his hand, meaning if he would allow him to defeat his enemies, that when he went home, the first thing that came out of his door, he would offer as a burnt sacrifice to God. Now, on the face of that, you can see that was foolish. God delivered the Ammonites into his hand, and he went home and approaching his house. Guess what the first thing that came out of his door was? His daughter. And every, every evidence I can find, he followed through on that vow. We want to think he didn't, and some people will say he didn't, but it seems that he did follow through. That was foolish. That was sinful. He should have never vowed it, and he should have never followed through on it when he did. Be careful deal-making with God. If you ever are in a tough situation and you say, God, if you'll get me out of this one, I'll be careful. But if, if it's sinful, obviously you shouldn't follow through. But if it's not sinful, then you keep your promise. Be faithful to your word. But think before you vow. Think before you promise. Think before you say things. We're bad about deal-making with God. And then just keeping on walking the same way. 
Another sinful vow, uh, the men in Acts who vowed not to eat or drink until they had killed the Apostle Paul. Acts 23, 12. I'll let you go look at it. Don't talk too much and don't promise too much to God or to man. But if you make a vow and you, or you make a promise, even a promise to a person, you fulfill it if it's not sinful to do so. And if it is sinful, you go and say, I'm sorry, I should have never said that. And here's why. It was sin for me to say that and promise that. Keep your word. Govern your word and keep your word. Walk in the fear of the Lord in your actions and speak in the fear of the Lord with your mouth. Just a few points of application will quit. One, beware of speaking too quickly. Think first, then speak. Rash words are usually sinful words. Fearful words are thoughtful words. Think before you speak. Beware of speaking too quickly. Secondly, beware of speaking too much. Fearful words are limited words. Govern your words with the word. See, the word applies just as much to our speaking as it does our, our actions or our living. And there's so much in here that tells us how to speak and how not to speak. Know the word and live and speak accordingly. So beware of speaking too quickly. Beware of speaking too much. Third, beware of speaking falsely. Because fearful words are true words. Fearful promises are kept promises. We need to be faithful as God is faithful to His word. We need to be faithful with our word. And then introverts, I know I'm in the club, but God made an introverted pastor, so he'll make you talk. Beware of speaking too little. Fear, fearful words are others focused. Fearful words are words spoken into need. So just because you're an introvert and are not comfortable with such things, that doesn't mean you don't have to honor God with your tongue by honoring Him in people's presence and by speaking words that will build them up. Fearful words are productive for God's kingdom and it's productive for others' growth and just productive for living together in Christ. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Be quick to hear. Honor God with your words and speak gospel and edification and encouragement. Let me give you one verse. This is another one of those verses where we just read it and we almost have a, a shock reaction to it and we try to forget it as soon as we possibly can. But don't forget it. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or off of your feed. Or don't tick it or talk it or any of the rest of that stuff. Snap it or chat it. Just shut it. Shut chat. Well, that would well, be a good one, right? A whole page of nothing. Sometimes it'd be better. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or your fingers or your keyboard or... See, corrupting talk is overflow, talking too much, talk, saying things that dishonor God, that don't lead to glorifying God in our speech, that will lead others in the wrong way. It certainly includes cursing. It doesn't. It's not encompassed by cursing. There's a lot of ways to be corrupting in our talk. But look what this says. This is a command to Christians. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. So that requires us thinking about it first, right? Is, that's a good test. I'm about to say, type, or text this. Does it honor God? Is it according to His Word? Will, will this build this person up? Will it fit the occasion? And will it give grace to those who hear? And yes, even in correction, we have to have that as our model. 
Listen, we're way too flippant with God. We're way too flippant with the gospel. We're way too easy on ourselves when it comes to living for Christ. We, just because justification is a free gift and salvation is a free gift, we just kind of get loose with the way we live and the way we talk. That's not the way the Apostle Paul applied the gospel. That's not the way Jesus applies the gospel. That's not the way the Word applies the gospel. So what he's telling us to do here is put off sinful talking. Put off corrupting talk. Put off foolish talk. Totally. That's the goal. We know we're growing towards that. None of us are glorified yet. We're going to have to say I'm sorry sometimes, right? But the goal is to put off... The Christian life is about putting off and putting on. Putting off meism, sinism, and putting on Jesus. Right? Put off the corrupting foolish talk. Totally. That's my goal. That's what we're shooting at. And we confess it when we fail. And put on edifying talk. So you can't just stop doing something. You have to replace it with something else. God-honoring talk. Edifying talk. Talk that builds up. Talk that communicates grace. Talk that is faithful to both God and neighbor. And if you're thinking your response might be, that is impossible. I can't do that. And you're partially correct. You're partially correct. You can't do that in your own strength. See, that verse that I read comes from Ephesians 4. That's over halfway through the epistle. What comes before Ephesians 4? And don't say Ephesians 3, okay? What comes before this is how you should live? What comes before that is the gospel. But God, that we have all sinned and fall short of His glory. We, like sheep, have strayed from Him. We, like sheep, have spoken any way we want to and dishonored Him with our words. And that revealed our heart that didn't love Him and really didn't want anything to do with Him. Yes, will it take a free cottage in heaven, but don't mess with my life. That's not salvation. But Christ came to live for us. Why did He come and keep the law? Was it to show out? No, He was fulfilling the righteous standard of God that we had broken. He perfectly fulfilled it. He never dishonored the Father with His speech. He fulfilled the law in thought, word, and deed. And then He took our guilt upon Himself and died and paid the penalty that Scripture required. All that sin shall die. Physically, yes. Spiritually, separation from God. Hell, eternal punishment. Jesus was God and man, so He took that punishment upon Himself. He died for our sins. He was buried and He was raised the third day, proving it's all true. And He gives us salvation. He gives us justification. Being made right with God as a free gift because He has earned it. But He doesn't just give us justification. He also gives us sanctification or growth and grace and calls us now, now that He's paid the penalty for our sins and clothed us in His righteousness, now that my record before the judgment bar of God is perfect obedience because of Christ, He's empowered me by His Spirit and given me a new heart so that I'll grow in living for Him. And the Scripture takes, and Jesus takes, as you can see just from one quote, Paul takes living for Jesus seriously. If you claim to have faith in Jesus, but your words show otherwise, your life shows otherwise, be careful. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day, and He offers you salvation as a free gift. Will you trust Him? Will you receive Him? And if you receive Him, you receive all that He is. The God-man, yes. The Savior, yes. But Lord. Lord. And so we follow Him according to His commands. Augustine felt his weakness. And he got in trouble for saying this. But he said, Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. Yes, God, you are God and you have the right to command what you will, but if you do, please empower me to keep that. If you are convicted about your speech, you can change it by the grace and power that is yours in Christ Jesus.
You can't change it in your own strength. And so you're right to say, I can't. But maybe you should immediately follow that up with, He can. And since not only my justification, but my sanctification is a work of grace, maybe if I look to Him and cry out to Him through prayer, a means of grace, and search for Him in His Word, that He'll empower that Word by His Spirit to change me and make me more like Jesus. But it'll only come as what Peter says, make every effort to grow. Make every effort to govern your speech. Will it be hard at first? Yes. Might you be blowing your cheeks out a lot? Maybe. As you stop things that shouldn't come out. But if you're in Christ, you have grace and power to live for Him and to live in Him and to grow in Him. If you're in Christ, Scripture says you have a new heart. You have a heart that loves God and loves what He commands now and wants to follow it. We saw that in the psalm reading. Corey did. In Christ you have a new power. Did you know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you if you're trusting in Jesus? So you, you can say you can't, but then lean hard on Him. He can. If He can speak the universe into existence, if He can sustain it by the word of His power, if He can bring a soul from dead in sin to salvation, you're not a match for Him. It's not hard for Him. You have a new heart. You have a new power. The Holy Spirit indwells you if you're trusting in Christ. And you have a new standard if you're trusting in Christ. The very Word of God. This is what should shape your life. Hide this in your heart. The psalmist said that I have hidden your Word in my heart. Why did he say that? I've done it with a purpose. That I might not sin against you. That's Psalm 119.11. Go memorize it. Start there. The reason he had hidden God's Word in his heart, he had a new standard. He wanted to obey God's Word, so he knew that he had to have that Word in him. And he did that because he loved God. See, it's not legalism. It's not me making myself good enough so He'll accept me. Remember, He's already done all that. But if the Gospel doesn't make me love Jesus and want to follow Him... I believe the wrong gospel. I need a new gospel. I need the real gospel. So you have a new standard. If you are not convicted about your speech, maybe you just need to cry out for salvation. Because the Spirit of God works in the children of God to bring conviction of sin so that we repent of it. If you can just fly off the handle at people around you, if you can just use your tongue as, a, as, as an instrument of destruction, and if there's no conviction about that and you justify that just based on who you are, don't stand with who you are before God. Turn from who you are to who He is and, and turn to Jesus and repent and begin to walk with Him. If you're not convicted, you should pray for salvation. If you are convicted, listen to me, child of God. If you're convicted and you want to love and live for Christ, listen to me. Christ's perfect record is yours. You are clothed in His righteousness. Christ's perfect forgiveness is yours. Not based on you, it's based on Him. Christ's perfect power is yours. The same power that raised Him from the dead. And Christ's perfect Word is yours. All because of the cross. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised the third day and He gives gifts to men. Part of that is His Spirit and His Word. Therefore, power to be shaped by it. He's your Savior. There is a God and it's not you and there is a Savior and it's not you. There is a Lord and it's not you. It's Jesus. Look to Him. Trust in Him. And rest in Him because you have His record, His righteousness. You have His forgiveness. You have His power and you have His Word. In other words, you have everything you need for life and godliness through a knowledge of Him, through His precious promises. Now, go out with love for Christ and gratitude to Christ and make every effort to speak fearful words and not to speak unrighteous words.
Fearful words are words spoken in the fear of the Lord. They're measured words. They're faithful words. They're productive words that communicate grace. They're words that both glorify God and benefit people around you. And if we're going to glorify Him with our life, they will also be gospel words that we speak to those around us. So don't be like the one in the song. Don't talk too much. But be a growing people of God who honor Christ with both their deeds and their words. He has called you to it. And He will work it in you. Because He is a faithful and a perfect and a loving Savior. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, probably nothing convicts us more than our words if we think about it. We are so frivolous with our words. We are so rash with our words. We are so hasty with our words. We're not thoughtful about our words. Help us to be. Reign in our tongues. Tame our tongues. And use our tongues as gospel instruments for your glory and our good. Help us to love you with our speech. To fear you with our speech and rightly understood meaning that we hold you in reverence and all. We delight in you and submit to you and trust you and want to speak in a way that honors you and in a way that blesses, even in correction, that is according to your word and a blessing for those who hear. Those of us who think we're quick-tempered or soft-tempered or whatever, help us to temper by your word. Nothing is too difficult for you. We, We are not identified by our failure but by your success. So help us, Lord, to measure our words and to be faithful with our words, to fear you with our words and therefore have fearful words, words that glorify and honor our Savior. Thank you that we have everything necessary for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Having your spirit and your word Work in us powerfully, Lord. Sanctify us in our speech. Help us to speak in the fear of the Lord. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray.